has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope. And there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. We're fortunate to have as our guest, Lisa Swayze. She and her husband, actor Patrick Swayze, were married for 34 years until his death from pancreatic cancer in 2009. Lisa gives us a rare glimpse into what it was like to care for Patrick during the last 22 months of his life. She talks about the physical and emotional pain, the rewards of caregiving, and how the journey has influenced her life. And her experience is brought to light in her book called Worth Fighting For. Uncontrolled pain at the end of life can push all other priorities aside and sap a person's energy and motivation to live. On the other hand, pain that's controlled reduces suffering and restores the energy and positive attitude that's needed to engage the emotional and psychological aspects of dying. Being a caregiver is certainly a life-changing experience. It can also be a life-affirming experience. A caregiver has a vital role in the day-to-day physical health and emotional support of someone who's often fighting a life-threatening disease. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Atlantis Health Group, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Lisa Niemi Swayze is an actress and dancer. She's a motivational speaker for caregivers and the national spokesperson for Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. She was the primary caregiver for her husband, Patrick Swayze, during his battle with pancreatic cancer. Lisa, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. First, tell us about your book, Worth Fighting For. The book uh, deals with basically the last two years of my husband's life where he was fighting against pancreatic cancer. And you know what the funny thing is, is that in going into working on this book, I I had some misgivings because I thought, well, you know, this is going to be the most depressing book ever (laughs) because we all, we all know how, how it ended. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, although I do go into a little bit of the aftermath of of the grief. But as I went into to write it, I was really uh, surprised because even though we were, you know, we were in a life and death battle and, uh, he did last 22 months and, uh, which just points to that every time we turned around, with a deadly disease like pancreatic cancer, we were always having a victory. Mm-hmm. And uh, every moment became so precious to us and was, uh, as the title says, was so worth fighting for. You know, it can bring out the best and it can bring out the worst in a person. And in many ways, it brought up the best in both of us. Well, I mean, despite the trying situation that you were in, I- I'm really happy that it did bring out the best in both of you. Uh, Lisa, what inspired you to write the book? 
You know what? I, I felt it was a story that really needed to, to be told. Number one is how he fought this battle. Yeah. And also, you know, there are a lot of books out there that are from the, the patient's point of view, mm-hmm. but not a lot from the caregiver's point of view. You know, when, when cancer strikes, cancer sets out to wipe out everybody in the family. You're right. It certainly can. Lisa, how did your mother's work as a nurse influence your ability to take care of Patrick? Well, you know, it's funny you should ask that. My mom was a great nurse. Mm-hmm. All through growing up, was like, don't put that on the counter there, and you, you can't use that sink for that, you know? <laughs> and so I, I had a little bit of a head start. Of course, I had a lot more to learn about keeping a place <laughs> really clean and sterile when yeah. you really needed it. Yeah. Uh, but also, I think one of the things I admired so much about her, on the few times I got to see her in action, is she had this incredible ability to put her own emotions aside. Mm. You know, no matter how traumatic the situation might be, yeah. I saw it as a huge sacrifice because she took her personality out of it and she was there completely to serve. In many ways, I feel like I tried to emulate that in regards to my husband's illness. It's, uh-huh. it's a very difficult thing to deal with, but I always said, I'll, I'll have time to cry later. Because yeah. <laughs> in, all, in all likelihood, he was going to lose this battle. And you know what? I, I didn't feel like I could afford to break down and feed my own you know, emotional need, Mm -hmm. you know, I needed to be here for for him. And so I needed to put my my own emotions on the back burner. It must have been very difficult indeed to put your own emotional and physical needs aside in order to fully devote yourself to caring for Patrick. And I'm I'm wondering whether your mom almost imparted a degree of stoicism in you. Yes, (laughs) I guess that's a good word. (laughs) In the, in the Finnish language, and I use it in my book, we call it Sisu, Sisu, S-I-S-U, uh-huh. and it's a very revered word in uh, Finland, and it's basically knowing you have lost, but continuing to fight. Yeah, I like that. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Lisa about how she and Patrick met. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, Alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Atlantis Health Group. Atlantis is a comprehensive multi-specialty physician group committed to enhancing the quality and process of healthcare delivery across the country. Visit AtlantisHG.com. Welcome back. We're speaking with uh, Lisa Swayze, who is the primary caregiver for her husband, actor Patrick Swayze, during his battle with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Lisa, tell us, how did you and Patrick first meet? Uh, Well, actually, uh, his mom's dance studio merged with this theater group I was performing with. Mm-hmm. This is when I was like 14 or something. Okay. And I, I saw him around. He had a reputation as a Casanova, you know, in a big shot. You know, he's, he was all-American and handsome and buff. My first actual meeting with him was he was walking out of the theater. I was walking in. He reached over and pitched me on the rear and said, hey, cutie. <laughs> <laughs> to which I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, oh, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that must have gotten your attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, later on when he asked me out, I said yes. <laughs> what, but weren't you two dancers? You know what? At that, at that particular moment, I was not yet a dancer. It was actually not that long afterwards that I did start to dance. And, uh-huh. and largely, uh, uh, 
you know, continued because of the opportunities that his mom gave me oh. and uh, because I couldn't really afford the lessons. And she said, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you come and dance anyway. But she was that, she's, she's that kind of lady. Wow. What a great person to have in your life. Now, now, let's talk about the book. How, how did the book help you heal the pain of Patrick's death? I was talking to a grief counselor, and she said one of the things that's very helpful in what they encourage their groups to do is to keep telling your story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess in a way for me to do this in this book, what was cathartic for me um, it was, you know, no doubt about it. There are no shortcuts through grief. Yeah. <laughs> but be that as that may, <laughs> doing the book, I think, was really helpful in the long run for me because by the time I had gotten through the whole thing, there are a lot of details I'd written down that I had forgotten about, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I wanted to write it as soon as I did yeah. after he died because, it, it, you know, as time goes on, you forget. You kind of make up stories about him instead of, how they really were and the rawness of what it was. But the fact that I'd already forgotten some of those details told me that I was able to let go of them. And I messed up a few times, but I promised myself that I wasn't going to cry in front of him mm-hmm. and put that on him during his illness. And uh, But in doing so, it, it saved up a, an ocean full of tears. Yeah, I bet. Lisa, did you ever just have to let them out during the last 22 months of his life? Three or four times. And they were they were good ones. They were good ones, but, you know, uh, you know, we were too busy being optimistic and, and uh, uh, bringing the most positive energy we could into the situation. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lisa, one of my previous guests, uh, Dr. Judith Orloff, who's a psychiatrist, said that she has waves of painful emotional memories of her parents who have, uh, have died yeah. that periodically overwhelm her. Do you experience this uh, with Patrick? Oh my gosh! You never you never know when it's going to hit. Mm. Even now, you know I have I have more good days now than bad days. Yeah. But I, you know, sometimes it doesn't seem that way because I'll I'll still get knocked down for a couple weeks, mm. and uh, it'll it'll be as bad as it ever was. And uh, sometimes it, it'll feel like you died just yesterday. Wow. But yeah, it'll it, you never know when it'll hit you. But what the how I kind of see it now, though, when those times come up is I know they're going to pass. And I know I'm not going to feel like that forever. And so I, I'm more able to roll with it and, and forgive myself. Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm feeling too low to do something, it's, it's just say, you know what, I can't, you know, I've got to let myself go with this. And it's, and it's not going to last. Yeah, yeah. When we come back from the break, we'll talk to Lisa about what Patrick Swayze was actually like behind the scenes. <laughs> I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Welcome back. Uh, Lisa, before we talk about the time you spent caring for Patrick, uh, following his diagnosis with pancreatic cancer, would you give us a rare glimpse into what he was like behind the scenes? Well, I think anybody who ever has seen interviews with him or, you know, he's a great guy. Uh You know, very much a people person. Uh, You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. (laughs) You know, he's just always surprising and unpredictable and... and, uh, uh, and incredibly charming, always charming, and 
and very loving and generous. Mm. And uh, uh, so, it, and, you know, and sometimes it's all these things that can be just absolutely endearing, endearing and adorable, and at the same time can also be very infuriating. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? <laughs> uh, if we look now at uh, some of the symptoms that Patrick had prior to the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, what were some of them that he had early on? Well, you know, he always had had stomach problems, uh-huh. indigestion. And uh, that was one of the things that had come on uh, maybe a couple months before his diagnosis. But he wasn't telling me, you know, it, it, it just seemed more than normal. It was not going away. Yeah. You know, when he finally came to me on uh, one Sunday afternoon, he, you know, had me look at his eyes, and his eyes were yellow. And then he confessed to me that also his stool had been very pale for the last couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And of course, none of those things were normal. And you know, sounded, you know, the call to get into the doctor right away the next day. Right? Did he have? A, I mean, was the pain in the abdomen? Yes. And is that what led him to go to the doctor? I think what finally got him to do it was John Biff. Because he wasn't going to say anything in t- to me until until uh, his eyes turned yellow. Yeah. You know, he's got a very high pain threshold. I'm sure with the stomach stuff, he was just going to, he was going to grunt his way through it. Absolutely. You know, I have patients who, who've done the same thing, actually, and who've been very, very stoic. How did Patrick accept the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer? Um, you know, on the outside, he was very, seemed very calm and steady. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know on the inside, it was extremely frightening for him. You know, anybody he knew that had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, the attitude was li- always like, well, he's out of here. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just so startling a, a discovery to find out that you have an illness as terrible as that one. Yeah, very startling. Lisa, uh, he was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. What did the doctors, what did the oncologists say about his prognosis? They said, frankly, this is an extremely aggressive disease, Mm -hmm. and you may look at getting your affairs in order sooner rather than later. It could be two or three weeks or three to six months. Uh, 75% after diagnosis die within the first year. Yeah, that's true. And you just don't know how long you're going to live. Uh, Lisa, how did that make you feel? You almost don't know how to react. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it was probably the worst night of my life. And it would be for me, too. I have some patients with pancreatic cancer who are just determined to beat it. Did Patrick feel that way too? Yeah, absolutely. You you know, we knew what the odds were. You know, we knew that in all likelihood, this disease was probably going to kill him. Mm -hmm. But we we held space for miracles to happen and for him to be the one that beats it. I think that was a great idea. And in fact, I wonder if that actually extended his life. Did Patrick develop a list of goals that he wanted to achieve before death? You know, the doctor asked him about that, and he was just, he was just like nonplussed. And he says, well, do you want to take a vacation? And he goes, I don't really don't see myself going on vacation. Mm-hmm. So what he did do is he went back to work. He went and uh, shot a TV series called The Beast about five months into his diagnosis. I remember seeing him on that TV series at that time and thinking to myself, how in the world is he able to get through this, given the pain? Amazing. Because, well, first of all, I always knew Patrick was a really tough guy, but I had really had no idea how tough he really was. And during the whole time he was shooting, he took very little to no pain medication at all. Hmm. 
mostly because he didn't want it ir- interfering with his work. Yeah. You know, people with uh, pancreatic cancer, though, often have grueling pain in the abdomen that often shoots to the back. And I- I'm wondering how Patrick controlled his pain, given that he really didn't take pain medicines. Uh, mind over matter. <laughs> you know, he was working five days a week, 14 to 16 hour days, wow. and getting chemotherapy on the weekend. Wow. You know, we had it that way, so that because we knew after chemo, he needed at least two days to recover. Yeah. So generally, they try and schedule him to get out earlier on Friday so he could go straight to the hospital and get his chemo. One thing that doctors commented on frequently was how attuned he was to his body. I, I think a lot had to do with the fact of the dancing he had done. There's so much in dance that is is so much mind over matter. I mean, if you, you see these little ballet girls with their legs up by their ears on point, and you go, really, we shouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> and, and really, you do it because you, you don't accept the laws of nature. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's how you learn how to do it. Yeah, you're right. H- how was, uh, what was Patrick's pain actually like? I mean, what did he experience? The best way that he could describe it was like extreme gas pain, shooting, crippling, you know, where it, it could send up to the floor. Yeah. You know, and he was, he was just, he was so determined that he was going to, he was going to rule this thing, not the other way around. Right. Was he still able to control the pain to the same degree, though, as time went on? You know, any cancer takes such a toll on your body, you know, and it's not just the chemotherapy, it's also the cancer. And it made it more difficult for him to fight Mm -hmm. because it was doing its best all the time to make him weaker. And he was losing muscle mass. And uh, going into his second year, it was it was getting harder for him to fight back and recover. And of course, by that time, we were also on to other treatments that didn't work as well as the first one. Yeah, you know, the cancer, the pain of the cancer, and the drug therapies for the cancer can all take their toll. Lisa, how did the pain influence Patrick's outlook on life and his ability to interact with you? Wow. You know, it's... You know, riding in the car and stuff was really uncomfortable. Every little bump hurt. Yeah. You know, he'd grimace when he'd do stuff, but then, you know, he he never complained, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And actually, in a way, he didn't know how much more pain there might be in what he's feeling right now. Right. Like, if he he knew that where he was at was a, a 9 or a 10 on a pain scale, he may have done a little more complaining, but if this was only a 4 or 5... He was going to save it for the big stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uncontrolled pain can certainly sap a person's energy and motivation and willingness to live. Uh, Did this happen to Patrick? He wanted to live. And that enormous desire made him not want to give in to the pain. Yeah. You know, (laughs) we're talking about a guy that's just like, he's so, his determination is, pretty extraordinary. Absolutely. Uh, so on the one hand, uncontrolled pain can sap us of our life's energy, really. Uh, but on the other hand, good pain control gives us the energy and positive attitude that's needed to engage the emotional and psychological aspects of dying from a terminal illness. W- where did Patrick fall on the spectrum? What a great question. You know, like when he, uh, going to his second year of illness, he, he was using a lot more pain medication, particularly uh, Dilaudid, uh-huh. which you can get pretty woozy on. Yeah. He'll do something, and I'll look kind of with this cheeky little look on his face. He goes, oh, I just had a Dilaudid moment. <laughs> 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 you know, so uh, he was pretty spacey, you know, depending on how much he had. But did that help with his motivation? It's kind of a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I know he certainly appreciated it, you know, because when he when he needed it, he really needed it, and he and he started asking for it. Sure. I think it's important to note that using an opioid for terminal pain doesn't make you die or doesn't hasten death. Rather, it may even prolong life. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Lisa about what treatments Patrick Swayze used to control his cancer pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Uh, Lisa, we talked earlier about uh, the use of Dilaudid by mouth that Patrick used to help control his pain. What else did he use, though? We were giving him Dilaudid, you know, shooting Dilaudid into his port every, what, 30, 45 minutes sometimes, and and I said, Patrick, or Buddy is his nickname, Buddy, you know, we can't do this. <laughs> we can't do this every half hour. It's killing us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, just the sheer labor of it was was exhausting uh, Donnie and me. And uh, so he, he agreed to go ahead. For us, for our sake, mm-hmm. <laughs> he agreed to go put the pain pump on. So it was a PCA, and it went into a, his port. And, uh, and I, I know what was going through his mind, because he thought, if I put this pain pump on, am I ever coming off it again? Yeah, sure. It must have been very difficult for you and his brother Donnie. And by the way, a PCA is an acronym for patient-controlled analgesia. It's a pump that's external to the body that delivers opioids, most often, through IV tubing and then to a patient's bloodstream for pain relief. Lisa, did Patrick use other forms of pain control? I mean, things like mindfulness, energy-based therapies, or faith. Mindfulness. I think he's a master of mindfulness. (laughs) Indeed, it sounds like he had an incredible will to live. You know, and and the thing is, is, and like I mentioned about the dancing, but not only that, he... He has a very, his left knee had been injured at a high school football game, and he's pretty much spent his whole adult life dealing with incredible pain. And, uh, uh, you know, where, you know, in too much exercise or whatever, he's going to the hospital to get it drained. It's that bad. And uh, so he's, he's had a lifetime of dealing with pain. And in fact, I once joked, joked with him that I, you know, when he was talking about a knee replacement, I said, you know what, the thing is, and he didn't want to do that, <laughs> you know, they, they don't last all that long, and he was worried it would limit his activity, and I said, well, you may be out of pain, and he goes, well, that's something, I said, who knows, you probably, you'll probably be the happiest person on the planet, because <laughs> you won't be in pain anymore, but, but, he's, but he's used to, uh, he was used to, he had a lot of practice with pain. You know, the, the prospect of severe and unrelenting pain at the end of life ranks high among patient fears. Oh, gosh. It, and it was for him. Yeah, he told somebody early on, he says, I don't want to suffer. Yeah. In fact, many feel that enduring severe pain is worse than death. He, he you know, he had fears about suffering. Yeah. And he, he really did not want to suffer. And that was, that was probably, that, was, that did rank high among his fears. Yeah, of course. Being a caregiver is certainly a life-changing experience. And it can also be a life-affirming experience. In fact, you know, a caretaker has a vital role in the day-to-day physical health and emotional support of someone who's, who's often fighting a life-threatening disease like pancreatic cancer. 
Join us next time as we continue to talk to Patrick Swayze's wife, Lisa, about her multifaceted role as her husband's primary caregiver during his battle with pancreatic cancer. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.